following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Our gospel reading today is from Mark 1, 9 through 15. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descended like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Before I give today's sermon, I wanted to take just a minute to... um, Acknowledge somebody, and that would be uh, Dr. Kristen Brown. Um, yes, you can. You probably are going to want to clap for her, but <laughs> um, Kristen has accepted a new job as the chief of staff at Seattle Pacific University. Now, unfortunately for us, that's Seattle, Washington, not Seattle, Rochester. <laughs> Rochester has, uh, you know, rings of suburbs, but that one's a little too far away for her to come to church here. <laughs> Um, so Kristen's going to be relocating to the Pacific Northwest very soon, um, just in the next couple of weeks. Uh, this may be her last Sunday with us, um, depending on how things go, I think. Um, possibly we'll see her next week, but in any case, we are really happy for Kristen and also really sorry to see her go. Um, Kristen has been a member of the artist community for several years now and has served our church with generosity uh, and with great skill. Uh, She was a member of our leadership team. Um, She served as the church chairperson during three of the most challenging years we've ever had in our history, um, which isn't all that long, but still. Um, Not only was she the chair of the church through some of the worst days of the COVID pandemic, but also during the season when we as a church body discerned that it was time to depart from our former denomination Uh, which led to an enormous, uh, you could say, institutional realignment project, (laughs) uh, which Kristen helped us uh, make our way through. New bylaws, new mortgage, more legal red tape than you could imagine, um, and we couldn't have done all of that without Kristen's very capable leadership. Um, She's also a pastor and a very gifted preacher, and we were lucky enough to have her deliver the Easter sermon for the past two years. And I almost asked her to do it one more, uh, you know, this year as well, but I thought, well, we'll give Kristen a year off. Um, uh, We have a great guest coming in for Easter, by the way. We're going to continue our tradition of having a woman proclaim the resurrection. Um, But now I'm like, well, maybe if I had just asked Kristen to give that sermon, she wouldn't have moved away. No. (laughs) Um, So thank you, Kristen, for all you've done for our church community. Um, We send you with our blessing and with our prayers for uh, many years of what will no doubt be incredible service at Seattle Pacific and for much joy and success in all of your other endeavors. Um, uh, So Kristen has agreed to give our benediction today, for which I'm really grateful. We'll get to kind of hear Kristen's pastoral voice one one last time before she goes. So so let's thank Kristen for her service to our church community. (laughs) 
Um, I have more things to say that are not a sermon. Um, I'm taking this out of my sermon time, don't worry. This is not not extra time, I don't think. (laughs) Um, This is really exciting news, which is that uh, it is now official and formally uh, codified. It's like, it's a done deal uh, that our new executive pastor uh, is Jay Newman. You're probably like, didn't we already say that a couple of times? And yes, yes, we kind of did. I appreciate you kind of bearing with us and being patient with how we navigated this process and brought it to its intended completion um, with a candidate who was already really well-known to our community. The process was sort of designed for someone who was not as well-known to our community. Um, And so it took a little longer after we kind of knew what we knew about Jay and his... um, fit for this role uh, before it became official, and it's actually truly official now. Um, We're so glad. Um, If you didn't hear this when we first announced that Jay was our preferred candidate, uh, I'll tell you that Jay has a Master of Arts in Theological Studies from Northeastern Seminary, which I can't resist saying again is the seminary where all four of Artisan's founding pastors got our master's degrees. So like it's it's this beautiful through line in that way. Jay also has an MFA. He is a poet and a writer. He's uh, been a professor. He's currently the director of um, the Office of International Engagement at Roberts Wesleyan University. Uh, and so he and I are co-workers in two places now, <laughs> which is really fun. <clears throat> um, Jay and his family have been part of the artisan community for several years now. During that time, he has already been involved in many ways, uh, as has the rest of the family. But Jay has volunteered with our youth ministry. He's given a What's Saving My Faith sermon and has been an all-around wonderful presence. So Jay's official start date is March 1st, uh, and we're really happy to have him aboard. His job tasks will uh, include preaching and church administration And so you're going to hear uh, Jay give sermons uh, about twice a month. Um, And you're going to see Jay's involvement in the kind of big picture stuff that happens at Artisan. And the staff will be working closely with him and he with us. Um, We will all be one staff now. uh, And I'm really, really excited for that. So um, I, I know that Jay and his family will appreciate your prayers and your care for him and for them as they navigate this new season of life as people who were already part of the community and now are part of a community in a, in a kind of a different way. Um, we want to acknowledge the challenge of that and, and sort of embrace uh, all of you with all that, we, all that we have and all that we are. So um, <clears throat> if you were here last week, Jay gave a sermon and did a little Q&A, and it turns out that Jay's sermon last week uh, about the transfiguration and how it invites us to embrace mystery in our faith, was actually a really wonderful and appropriate kind of hinge point into today's sermon. And that is in part because of um, the way that the lectionary assigns the readings on those two days, um, last week and this week, but I'll tell you about that in a minute. For now, I just wanted to say how thrilled I am um, to welcome Jay to our pastoral staff team. And I'm really genuinely feeling excited and very hopeful for what this means for Artisan as a church community. I, I, um, I probably have said some version of this before. I know I've said it in smaller settings. I don't know if I've said it as much publicly, but this, this whole transition of, of bringing someone else on staff made me feel 
quite nervous, as I know it made a lot of you feel nervous as well. Um, and uh, one of the things that I want to say by way of this transition is that I don't feel nervous anymore. I feel hopeful and excited. And I hope that um, if you haven't quite made that switch yet, that you'll be able to really quickly over the next weeks and months. Um, but I'm holding space for all of the feelings that you have, just as you held space for all the feelings that, that I had. And, and the last thing I'll say is that um, Jay has a wonderful pastor's heart. And one of the things that I said to him during the interview process was that this has been revealed to me now. I have seen this part of who Jay is, who you are, Jay. And um, whether, whether we didn't know yet whether Jay would be the person who would take this job. And I, I, but I, I knew from that moment in a way that I didn't know before that no matter what happened with this job, that Jay was a pastor, was and is a pastor. And... Um, so uh, we're really excited. Okay. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot, a lot going on today. Um, so let me talk about that, that hinge, that bridge, if you will, from Jay's Transfiguration Sermon last Sunday to today, which is the first Sunday in Lent. Um, if you weren't here last week, I'll give you the brief recap. It comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, and Jesus had led some of his closest disciples up a high mountain, and then the text tells us that he was transfigured before them, that his clothes became dazzling white, and suddenly he was seen to be talking with Moses and Elijah, the two greatest prophets of the Hebrew people. And um, it, it goes into the, the specific details of how Peter, the disciple who always had something to say, whether he had something to say or not, uh, <laughs> and uh, i I love him and I hate him because I am him in some ways. Um, he's like, we got to build some structures right now. We got to, like, let's build some tents, Jesus. And Jesus is like, uh, okay. Um, but they were terrified, the text tells us. And then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Now, that last little bit, that voice from heaven, probably sounds familiar to you because. A voice from heaven said something very similar after Jesus was baptized in today's gospel reading, which you heard just a couple of minutes ago. The voice from heaven in that case said, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Now, I, I can't help but pause here and talk about why we get this particular um, effect, which I call the beloved son sandwich effect. Um, <laughs> we've got these two beloved son occasions, right? Back-to-back -back weeks in the, in the liturgy here. The reason for that is that we, we are following the lectionary. Um, most of you know what the lectionary is, but in case you don't, it's just a schedule of biblical readings that can be used in worship. And uh, every week they assign four readings. We usually read three of them, sometimes two, sometimes all four. Uh, there's a psalm, there's an Old Testament slash Hebrew Bible reading, there's an epistle reading, which is the letters of the New Testament, and then there's a gospel reading, which is the stories of Jesus. Um, and they are sort of themed to the, the Christian calendar, right? And so they take us through the seasons of the Christian year, through the season of Advent, the season of Christmas, the season of Epiphany, the season of Lent, which starts today, and then the season of Easter. And then we're into 
ordinary time, which is kind of just like miscellaneous, right? <laughs> and it happens on a three-year cycle. So every three years on the first Sunday in Lent, we'll be looking at the same texts. And next year on the, so this is like 2024, we're, we're reading the same text that we read on, in 2021. And if you remember what was happening in the season of Lent 2021, we probably would rather not remember what was happening in the season of Lent 2021. I know I would rather not. Uh, but next year we'll be on the first Sunday of Lent reading a different set of passages that sort of orient us to the same themes of the first Sunday in Lent. Now, I've often said, if you're a person who's wanting to read the Bible more, um, it's going to be very difficult for you if you just turn to page one and start reading and see how long you last. <laughs> right? Most people don't get very far before they go, this is a bad idea. <laughs> Right? And that's not to say that, that the scripture is not a, good, it's not a good idea to read scripture. I'm just saying the degree of difficulty is quite high when you start on page one and see how far you can get. And so an alternative to that would be to Google the word lectionary, click on the first link that you see, and click on the one for this reading, the readings for the Sunday coming up. And then if you read those texts, you'll get kind of like this little smorgasbord of, of biblical stuff, smaller, smaller chunks. Um, and then... When you get to church on Sunday, you'll very likely hear some of those texts read again, and you'll hear probably a sermon based on at least one of them. So it's a good way to start your Bible reading. I always try to say that when I'm explaining about the lectionary. Now, what happens in this church calendar flow is that the last Sunday in the season after Epiphany is Transfiguration Sunday. That was last week. Every year, the week before Lent begins, we get the story of the Transfiguration. Jesus goes up the mountain. He turns dazzling white. There's Moses and Elijah. Peter makes a fool of himself. <laughs> right? And then in the first Sunday of Lent, we always get the story of Jesus' temptation and trials in the wilderness. And every year it's told by a different gospel writer. Sometimes it's Matthew. Sometimes it's Luke. This time it's Mark. So there's four Gospels. Three of them are used in these particular weeks from year to year. They all tell the stories of Jesus in different ways. Sometimes there's overlap in what's told. Sometimes there's a complete difference. It only appears in one of the Gospels. Sometimes the same story is told with different details or at different pace. And what we get with the Gospel of Mark, which is for this year of the lectionary, the Gospel that we read on Transfiguration Sunday and on the first Sunday of Lent, is we, we get the baptism of Jesus. Mark tells the stories of Jesus so quickly, his favorite word is immediately, that we get two kind of events next to each other that you don't see when you read it, uh, the same little bit of scripture, you don't get that, that picture from Matthew or from Luke. Now, I didn't give you all that just because I'm a church calendar nerd. I mean, I, I am a church calendar nerd, but that's not why I said this. I think there's actually something here for us that might be of use to us in this particular season in the way that Mark tells the story of Jesus' temptation and his trials, that story that we always get on the first Sunday in Lent. Um, by the way, further church calendar nerdery, I don't say the first Sunday of Lent because Sundays are like sort of hovering above Lent. We get 40 days plus Sundays in the season of Lent. The Sundays are not included among the 40 days. Um, but the 40 days are meant to match the 40 days of temptation and hunger and trial that Jesus experienced in the wilderness. That's why we see that story always appearing. 
So the other gospel writers give us different details. They focus on the content of Jesus' temptation. This one just says he was tempted by Satan. One of the other ones tells us all the specific temptations that Jesus received. Some of them focus on Jesus' hunger, right? The fact that he's fasting in this, this time, that kind of thing. But what Mark gives us, Mark's special gift to us, is the quick transition from his baptism into his wilderness experience which is a quick transition from what must have been a truly transcendent spiritual experience, an experience of great joy, of knowing God's intimate closeness and love, and of incredibly deepening connection to God the Father, right into what must have been a truly debilitating spiritual experience. One of utter despair and of hunger and dissatisfaction and probably of God's apparent absence. Have I ever told you that Artisan was not the first church plant that I was part of as a pastor? Some of you might know part of this story. Um, When I graduated from my my undergrad at the very end of the 1900s, My first job in ministry was at a church plant, which is kind of like a church startup, trying to make a church out of nothing, uh, in the city of Las Vegas, Nevada. And um, (laughs) the funny twist of fate in this story is that Tracy and I had broken up for a season. um, And it was during the time that we were broken up that I accepted this call to Las Vegas. And it was after I accepted the call to Las Vegas that we reconciled and got engaged. And so part of the engagement was Tracy committing not only to put up with me for the rest of her life, but also to move across the country to a city she'd never even visited. Um, a city which must be said is, is not a very fun place for most people to live. <laughs> um, that's a story for another day. Um, just suffice it to say that she has an extra jewel in her heavenly crown. <laughs> I went out there with another a colleague of mine, a pastor who was a little further along in ministry and who had asked me to come and be part of the team as the um, music director and pastor of kind of like, eventually I got involved with, with doing some teaching and small group leading and stuff like that. And we started things off out there by going to a week-long training for church planters because we wanted to kind of get our stuff together and be on the same page with everything. And so we got a hotel, this was in San Diego, Got a hotel room, booked this expensive training, (laughs) went to the first day, got all of the first day information, went back to the hotel room. We were doing some of the homework for what we had to do for the next day of training. And I have to tell you, an experience that I had not had to that degree and haven't had since to that degree occurred to both of us at the same time, which is that we felt a very clear direction from the Holy Spirit. Simultaneously, without bringing it up with each other. One of those really weird kind of situations that's like mysterious. Remember Jay's story last week of, uh, of Jesus waking up the, the Korean woman uh, she had never heard of Jesus before and telling her she needed to leave, um, like get packed up in the middle of the night and go. Uh, it wasn't quite to that degree of, uh, of alarm probably, but it was a very clear sense from both of us, simultaneously without discussing it, that the Spirit was leading us to, to plant this church in a particular way. 
using a totally different model and approach for building a church community than the one that we were being trained on. <laughs> and so we had to not only stop doing all the homework we were doing because it would have been irrelevant, but like sit there and we prayed together and said, okay, God, we're, this is very weird, but we're going to do it. Happened to be a model of church structure and growth that has never worked in the United States. It's worked in some other places. It's been very successful in some Asian Christian churches, but it has never worked. At the time, it had never worked, and it still has never worked <laughs> in a Christian church in America. And we knew that, and yet we were so clear. So we went there the next day to the training and said, here's what happened to us last night. And they said, that's great. We can't help you with that. Good luck. We trusted God and we moved forward. We'd had this extremely intense, transcendent experience. And 22 months later, I was packing a moving truck because we had closed the church because it did not work. Turns out. And so we were so like spiritually alive and clear on this, this closeness with God. I still believe that God told us to do what I thought God told us to do then. I still don't exactly know why, except that I'm probably much happier here than I would have been there. Have you ever had an experience with God that was on that level of transcendence, couldn't explain it, so close to God, everything was so real, only to years or months or weeks or days later have an experience of total spiritual despair, of complete wilderness, of of. God's absence. Sometimes it takes the form of a person you had really trusted, maybe who had really led you in your faith, maybe even had led you to faith, had been instrumental in your conversion to Christianity, if you had such a thing at an age that you can remember. Turning out to be kind of not a good person at all. Turning out to do something that's really hurtful to you or maybe harmful to you or to others. The number of times I've talked to people who uh, had a meaningful and real experience with God under the leadership of a person who then later drove them away from God is, is truly upsetting to me, but it is a thing that does happen. Whether it was that version of the story or something completely different, the result is probably similar. You find yourself confused. You find yourself questioning your faith. You find yourself questioning your own experiences. Did that really happen to me? Am I gaslighting myself right now? Was I delusional back then? I don't see or notice God anywhere right now. How did I feel God so closely at that moment? And so the thing that I mentioned earlier about the, the lectionary giving us these two occasions of the beloved son moment on consecutive weeks on the Christian calendar is what makes it interesting because it's actually not 
so close together in the story. That's sort of a quirk of the lectionary's assigned readings. It's actually quite a while after Jesus' baptism that he experiences the transfiguration. And so there's a long period of time and many, many events that take place between him coming up out of the water and hearing him called beloved son from a voice in the clouds and him going up the top of the mountain and hearing the voice say, this is my son, listen to him. His baptism is the kickoff of his earthly ministry. And then he's immediately out in the wilderness. In fact, this text says something which I find quite disturbing, to be frank. The Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Did the Spirit drive me into my wilderness? I I wouldn't want that to be true. He has this harrowing time. Forty days, temptation and hunger. And then he comes back and he starts teaching And he calls his disciples and he starts healing people. And then some of the people start to reject him. Then he draws the attention of the religious and governmental authorities who see him as a threat and begin to plot against him. And then his cousin, the one who baptized him, is executed rather gruesomely by King Herod. And it's only after all of these and many other experiences, feeding the 5,000, feeding 4,000 more, that he eventually goes up that mountain and it's transfigured. And can you imagine with me how he must have felt in that experience? (laughs) After all he had been through, to hear those words spoken again, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. What a reassurance that must have been for him after all that time. And here I'm leaning into the humanity of Jesus, by the way. Christian doctrine teaches us, and I believe, that Jesus is both fully divine and fully human. It's one of the great mysteries of our faith, and that took the church like many hundreds of years of arguing to kind of come to a clear way of articulating this. But I think it gives us so much beauty and power and meaning in the incarnation of Jesus. And in this moment, I'm focusing on the humanity of Jesus and the very real experiences that I believe he had of doubt and questioning. Right? This is not... This is not Jesus, this is not the aspect of Jesus that's present at creation, right? Who was resurrected on the third day after his crucifixion later in the stories of the gospel. This is the Jesus who's right in the thick of being a human, which sometimes sucks. Which sometimes causes you to go, what is happening to me right now? How reassuring and validating it must have been. Can you imagine hearing those same words again? He must have had this instant flashback to the waters of his baptism. How much time was it for you between those experiences of validation and reassurance that you had with God? How much time was it for you between the experience of transcendence and closeness and meaning and then all of the time that happened before you had some additional reassurance? Maybe you're hearing me ask that question and you're going, I don't know yet because I'm still in the wilderness. It's okay to be in the wilderness. I have faith along with you that there's a moment coming when you will be reminded and reassured and revalidated of God's presence. It's in fact my belief that God is 
indeed present with you in the midst of that wilderness, even though you may not recognize it or be able to see it, even though it might feel to you more like punishment and having been driven out of comfort rather than closeness and presence. That's a, that's a legitimate and valid experience with God. It's part of all of our stories if we live long enough, if we go through enough time in our faith. And so what I want to conclude with today is the thing that Jesus says immediately upon his return from this wilderness trial. Right? This is before he gets to the transfiguration moment. It's quite a lot before. It's only 40 days after the baptism experience, the way Mark tells the story. It says he comes back and starts to preach, and he says to them in his preaching, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, here I want you to remember what repentance means linguistically in the Bible. It means a changing of your mind. A few weeks ago I preached on it and talked about it as um, like a caterpillar in a chrysalis, a transformation of your mind. You might say a transfiguration of your mind. So many of you have been called to repentance in a way that focuses on all the things you're doing wrong. In a way that doesn't actually sound like it's very much good news at all. Repent and believe the good news. Here's all the things you're doing wrong and all the things that are going to happen to you as a result if you don't get your act together now. So come forward, and let's pass the plate. And fair enough, I guess. I mean, on some level, fair enough. Sometimes we need to be called on the stuff that we're doing wrong. Sometimes we need to be told, what you are doing right now is harming other people, or it's harming yourself. Sometimes we need to be told that the things that we are doing right now are actually us without maybe realizing it, pushing ourselves farther and farther away from God. But this call to repentance from Jesus, the way he structures it in the time that he does, is connected to God's closeness. He says, before repent and believe the good news, the kingdom of God has come near. And so what if this year for Lent... Sometimes we, we talk about giving something up for Lent, right? It's, it's part of like the, the fasting model that comes along with the season of Lent. Sometimes I'm all in favor of it. If you've chosen to give up something for Lent, I'm not telling you to stop doing it. Don't go out and buy up all the chocolate at Tops after church today. <laughs> um, but what if instead of or in addition to giving something up for Lent this year, You add something in, and the thing that I would add in for you or invite you to add in for yourself is the awareness of God's closeness. What if for you, your Lenten repentance is not, I have to stop behaving in these ways that are bad, but instead, I need to make space for God to transform my mind in such a way that I am always aware, more and more with each day of Lent, of how close God actually is to me. So repent and believe the good news. (laughs) Change your mind and accept and understand that it is true that God is with you even in the wilderness. And that there is an experience coming in your future when the wilderness will be behind you. 
when you'll be on a mountaintop again. How would Lent feel different for you if you thought of repentance in that way instead of the other way? The specific way that I might invite you to do that is with a very simple version of what's called the Ignatian Examine. Um, And all it involves doing is just stopping to think for a minute about how you have tried to be close to God today and how you have noticed God trying to get close to you today. There's a much more complicated version and involved version, but that's all you have to do. You can literally do it at a stoplight. That's my Lenten charge for you this year. Repent. Allow your mind to be transformed and believe the good news. And what is the good news? That the kingdom of God is near. Yes, even today. May it be true for you. Amen. Well, for one last time, I am going to send us out with a blessing. And I bring some words from St. Kate, who's one of my faves. Um, She writes a a blessing for beginnings and endings, because many endings uh, are the beginning of a new thing, and many beginnings start with an ending. So here we are today, for me and for all of us, I think of this community and the many new beginnings that we are embarking upon. So for today, hear this blessing for us. This life is made up of so many beginnings and so many endings. We start new jobs and leave old ones. We move to new cities and leave our childhood hobbies in our parents' basement. Sorry, Mom. We become new people slowly, hopefully kinder and funnier. Friends and relationships come and go, dreams blossom and then they wither. And we find ourselves here once again at the precipice of change, afraid to let go and afraid of what will happen if we don't. Might this be a place of blessing too? Blessed are we, standing in the hallway, between closed doors and ones still to come, between the old and the new, between the worn in and the doesn't quite yet fit, between who we were and who we might become. God, make it remotely possible to grow and change, become open to new adventures and untethered to routine or to the same old, because the anxiety rising in my shoulders and filling my throat tells me I am unlikely, unwilling to step forward. Blessed are we who take a minute to look over our shoulder at all we learned from what was, the people we became, the people who loved us into becoming, the peace that came with familiarity. Blessed are we who trust this timing and who open our hearts anew to change, to new friends, to hope, nervous, maybe heavy-hearted, but brimming with gratitude for a life so beautiful that it hurts to say goodbye. Blessed are we, turning our eyes ahead toward a new path not yet mapped. God, give us courage to take this next step. And enough for the one after that, too. 
Remind us that you have gone before and behind and around and are with us now. In our leaving, in our arriving, in our changes, expected or shocking, surprise us with who we might become. Go in the peace of the Lord to love and serve the world around you. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.